This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today we have got a great guest for you, Ms. Erica Andreessen from EAAS Consulting. And we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, man. But before we do that, I would be remiss if I didn't thank my friend Ryan Stillwell for introducing Erica to us. So any of the gold that she drops during the next little bit today, you can thank Mr. Stillwell for that because he's the one who connected us. So before we get ramped up, and get into the meat of our discussion. Why don't you give everybody kind of the background story on how we got to where we're at right now? How, how far we're background we going? How, I can is, say, you know, when Ryan hooked us up or how I even came into the universe. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Let's just, let's sort of look at what your background is from your work history and what led you to start your, your company and who you work with and kind of that stuff first. Okay. Um, so I like to say I'm a recovering lawyer. So I started off my <laughs> professional life as a corporate lawyer in New York City, where in the early aughts, I was helping the banks that were helping uh, to destroy the economy, protect themselves from DOJ and SEC investigations. Uh, now, was this last week or the week before? <laughs> <laughs> History does repeat itself. But so I do feel like there's a glitch in the matrix. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> And I felt really unfulfilled helping rich corporations stay rich under those circumstances. I don't mind it now for different reasons. But um, I started doing pro bono work for veterans and then decided that I wanted to do more like that, but it felt dirty to charge veterans. So I just I just gave up the corporate law job and joined the active duty Army Jack Corps. And I did that for almost a decade. And while I was doing that, I got involved in very suddenly um, emergency management type of stuff. and. I became really enamored with it. Uh, I decided to get yet another degree because I love having an alphabet soup following my name. And uh, that was a master's of public administration. In, and I specialize in emergency management because I figured if I ever got out of the military, I would use that. And one of the things that the military does all the time, all day long, on every level, is uh, what they call continuity of operations. And I learned when I got out of the military, continuity of operations is business continuity. And it was, uh, it was in Afghanistan in 2016, doing risk management and analysis on a level that most people don't get to do it on because you do your most likely, least likely, most deadly course of action because it is legitimately 
life and death every time we walked out the uh, gates of our base. And I was reading a business review article on Superstorm Sandy survivors, and they were all asked the same question. And the final question was, what are you doing to prepare for next time? And almost every single one of them said, oh, this won't happen again. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was like, dear Lord, please pay me money to tell you that you're wrong and how to not be wrong for next time. And that's where the idea came to start my business, but I was still active duty, so I couldn't do anything about it. And then I decided to get out in January of 2020. I submitted my paperwork for six months out, not knowing there was going to be a pandemic. Uh, I kind of wish that I might have done things differently if I had known, but everything turns out the way it should. I did feel I was behind the April when the pandemic started because I'm like, oh, my God, everything that I want to do, people are doing now and I can't do it. And my friend said to me, Erica, you realize that you are your product, right? The way you present the information, the way that you help people. It's you. And I want, oh yeah, I guess that's right. So that's actually where the name of my company came, EAAS. It is a play off of software as a service, but it's Erica as a service because you get me <laughs> and my expertise. And um, yeah, so I started applying for legal jobs and it make it didn't make sense to me to do that. And I decided, you know what, I'm just gonna go ahead and do this business thing. So did the business thing, also became a professor of emergency management. Somebody said I should write a book, so I wrote a book. And um, then here we are. There you go. That is a very storied past to get to where we're at. I had no idea of your time in the military. That never came up when we had our conversation a couple of weeks ago. So that's that's really interesting to me. And I'm certain prepared you very adequately for what you need to do out in the private sector, right? So how how have you taken that time and transferred it in that skill set to what you're doing on a daily basis today? So the, the thing about um, everybody uses different words. So like I said, in, in the military's continuity of operations, and I had been doing that, and it has a slight translation once you get to the civilian world to do that. And the professional association that made me a certified business continuity professional to get that designation, you need at least a decade of experience doing continuity of uh, well, business continuity. And I was able to apply using the experience I had to get that designation. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's non-traditional, but it still is the same thing. It just likes the different words. And I think it was helpful. And I don't think I actually know this. It was helpful that I was a corporate attorney first before going into the military because I never stood by the just because someone said to do it is why you should do it. I never, and the, the military was very big on, well, we've always done it this way. And it's like, well, that's not the way to go. Yeah, probably and, not very big on allowing for questioning of the method, yeah. so to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, it didn't, it didn't, or it helped. I would say it didn't help, but it did help that I'm from New York City. So I definitely, I mean, I ruffled a lot of feathers with my very direct way of speaking, but I still got stuff done. And that was really important. And I've taken that with my, business now and just it's just really a passion thing because like you know I told you I went from corporate law to giving up almost I think almost seventy thousand dollar salary cut to join the military because I felt really compelled to do what I was doing. I was compelled to do something for veterans and I became one myself and I was helping veterans every day. And then I and then I left and I'm doing something now where I see that I am I'm educating and empowering business owners by letting them know about business continuity because international corporations do it, big businesses do it, healthcare 
uh, facilities do it, higher education institutions do it, business um, method, uh, banking institutions do it, the government does it. And the only reason that small and mid-sized businesses aren't doing it is because they don't know about it. And there's no barrier to entry. And it is really important to me, the way I see it is, I'm going to impart my fingerprint by educating business owners about how to keep their dream alive because they everybody has a mission to serve the community and their service, their product, whatever it is, enhances the community, makes the community more resilient, makes the community better just to be in. And they also have employees. Their employees make money by being paid and they are in turn able to pay for their necessities in life like rent and food. But they also get to enhance their lives by paying for services and products by other dreamers. So the cycle keeps going. And that's something that I feel really, really um, driven to do. And, and that, that's something that I'm passionate about. So we work with businesses. Typically, we stick around middle market, which, you know, that's a moving target, depending on what industry you're in and what part of the country you're in. But reasonably good sized established companies is who we're dealing with. But, you know, I've also dealt with small business over the course of my career. And it's always been interesting for me to see the difference in how somebody who's the owner of a small business thinks versus when you move into middle markets, you've got a company that's more, more, you know, I don't want people to take this the wrong way because it's not a better or worse thing. It's, they're just more complex and it's common sense because Anything that gets bigger typically adds layers of complexity to it. And as a result, as you move into those larger opportunities, you're dealing with a chief executive officer, a chief financial officer, even a controller, possibly, depending on how big the company is. There may be multiple layers to the financial sector of the business. And it's always interesting to me to see the difference in how people process information, think through things, and make a decision and so knowing that, what do you run into? Like, are you going out? Is this something where people are reaching out to you because you've gotten referred in and they know they need you up front? Or is this something where you're, you know, reaching out to businesses to offer your services because you feel like there may be a need there? I'm just, I'm interested in the pushback and the resistance you get from businesses themselves, because I know what it's like on the insurance side and we're kind of a cost of doing business at this point. Like there's not right. going to be very many businesses that are out there flying blind with no insurance whatsoever. But, and this is a huge, but there very well may be businesses who have decided I'm going to buy that insurance, but I'm going to nickel and dime the agent because I don't think business income and extra expense is relevant. Or yes. they buy a product and they don't know what they're getting and they think, well, I'm covered because I paid my premium and I have quote unquote full coverage, which there's literally no such thing as full coverage. It doesn't I exist. I love full coverage. Yeah, there's always going to be an exclusion somewhere. And so knowing that, it always scares me because I, you know, I look at this from two different ways. I look at things as a business owner. I also look at business as someone who is a trusted advisor in being paid mm -hmm. to give my absolute best opinion. And Many times those two things don't, they don't mesh very, very well because my, my best advice is always going to be to take the appropriate risk management measures first and ensure what you can't transfer or finance, you know, or um, I'm sorry, whatever you can't transfer or avoid or, or risk manage your way around. 
And I just see too many times, like even when we'll go through the exercise with a, a prospect of completing a business income worksheet so they can understand their their real exposure, or at least what the insurance industry says, their real exposure would be in dollars to a, a, a loss of operations. They don't want to spend the money on the insurance. They're perfectly fine with just rolling the dice because to your point, even if something had already happened to them, eh, it's not going to happen again. Yeah. How much? How much it's never pushback, happened before? Yeah. How much pushback are you getting when you're going and talking to people about business continuity? Right. So there was a lot in there. <laughs> I'm gonna, I know, and, I, and the scary part is I stopped because I had more, and I'm like, I need to bring this up. <laughs> I took notes. I'm like, I'm losing track. So, <laughs> welcome to my that's world. your legal. That's your legal history, counselor. You're, yeah. you're, you're <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like being thorough. Um, so the first part uh, that you asked, I get both referrals. Um, from people who I've worked with and people I've actually been the client of. And they're like, wait, you know what? You do something that's important. So I could actually use you, I think. And I'm like, yes, you can. So there's some like, not necessarily quid pro quo, but it's just realizing there's synergies with people I'm actually the client of. And then I, I do get referrals. Um, I find randos who find me on LinkedIn, who just happen to be, I'm like, how did you find me? Because there's zero connection between us. And a lot of them, like, well, I read your book and then I saw your profile and, you know, I have to work with you. I'm like, okay, um, I will go out and speak to people. The problem I encounter with speaking to people is not not the actual speaking, but there are business owners. And that's and this is in both sizes. The small businesses are more um, cost conscious than the mid market ones. The mid market ones, what I would like the sweet spot is finding somebody, CFO, or a CEO who knows what business continuity is because they've done it at a higher level, but have taken a step down and they're trying to find an affordable version of it. That would be perfect. But what I like to, what I really battle, and I'm sure it's, as an insurance um, person, you, you had the same problem where they see it as a cost and not an, an asset. Right. And I, and it's like, okay, if you realize if you're a proactive instead of reactive, everything is on your terms and it's, a lot less expensive to do when it's on your terms, not a disaster's terms, not on the unscrupulous now in high demand contractors terms. It's on your terms. And way I see a lot of this, it's, I don't understand why anybody would open a business and not have the intention of having it survive any type of disruption. Why put in the effort to do that? What is your mission? Your mission isn't to do this until you know, somebody's got your arches behind your back and you say, uncle, I don't think you would advertise to your vendors or your clients or your merchants that you plan on just giving up and shutting down if something happens, or you're just going to wing on, do it on a wing and a prayer. Mm -hmm. I see it as an investment. The amount of money I've even spent on myself and my own business, I will bet on myself all day, every day to succeed. And why that doesn't translate easily to other people, because it's like, look, you can have everything dialed in. You can have your sales dialed in. You can have your marketing dialed in. And that's wonderful. But at the end of the day, you don't have a cash register that opens because your business is dead because you didn't take certain mitigation measures or preparedness measures after doing risk management because risk management just mitigates a risk. It does not eradicate a risk. Insurance transfers the financial burden and the hassle of a risk, but it's still there. If you And I think business continuity is easy is everybody does it every day in the most simplest of ways when you even just check your weather app to see, okay, this is what I want to accomplish today. 
all right, I got to make sure the time of day I'm leaving is good based on the weather. I need to make sure I'm clothed appropriately. I'm taking a drive. How far am I going? Is there many gas stations along the way? Do I have gas? Am I stopping to eat? You do all this stuff all day long to mitigate everything down to be the least discomfort you have while still achieving your goal for the day. And good point. Yeah. So why not do it with your business? <laughs> correct. Yeah. Correct. And I, and I think if I, if I can make it relatable to you, then you understand it's, it's really not that hard. It's not that scary. And it's, it's something that you should, it's just an inherent part of what you do. Having a business continuity plan or program is an asset. And at a certain point, you have to spend money to make money. You already know that. This is spending money to continue to make money. Yeah. I think it's that scarcity mindset that we talk about all the time, all the time. on here. Yeah. All the time. I mean, and that's the whole thing. It, it, it just, look, I get it, man. We're a small business. You're a small business. You know, we have limited resources that can come in and, and, and everything that goes with that. And I understand insurance specifically in Florida, very, very expensive. But I also want every single person listening to this to understand insurance should be like the funding mechanism for a good disaster recovery plan. It should not be the disaster recovery plan or the business <laughs> continuity plan, as the case may be. And I also understand that maybe we're in a situation where you live in a part of the country where it doesn't have. Um, horribly fluctuating weather patterns or wildfires or any of the other things. But I can tell you one of the worst business continuity claims that I personally have ever seen was, was something that happened before I represented an account that came into my book of business. And it was a, it was a, um, company that that uh it was a printing operation right we they they printed print media but they also did cd dvd replication and and now they're officially now out of business because literally everything they did went digital like it's a, it's really a sad story it was a third generation company they had these really really expensive printing presses and for my podcast listeners this is actually the account that i reference in the opening to the podcast when i talk about you know validating your existence the prospects already agreed to spend time with you by taking the meeting this is that account and they had an issue where those printing presses which were highly specialized pieces of equipment they had were manufactured over in europe and they had a guy that was local that came in to do some quote unquote maintenance on it. And he left a wrench in the press and the wrench went through the press well, and it locked it old, up. The old wrench in the press move. Classic. And they were down. They were down for four to six weeks because you could, they couldn't get the person here. They couldn't get the parts they needed and all of this stuff. And this was not a small company at the time that that happened. They were probably 55, 60 million a year in sales. Wow. And there wasn't a plan. Like there was no plan. It was one of the wedges I used in my conversation to get them to hire me was because we needed to help them put in a disaster recovery business continuity plan. And yeah, so and that's actually what I tell people. People assume it's um disasters. It's disasters and disruptions. And they're like, oh, natural, natural events. And I'm like, yes, but disruptions. And I the first example is is if you have a key piece of machinery you need and it goes out. That is a single point of failure. That is a disruption. Or you have a key leader or a very influential leader who dies or maybe leaves the job. Then that is also a disruption because it changes the, 
the makeup of the company and what the employees who work there uh, know how how to respond in their culture. That's another disruption. Absolutely. So, what's the biggest challenge you face to this point? Um, it really, it really is the convincing the leaders because the, the two biggest problems that anybody who does business continuity will face are leadership buy-in and money. So it's one thing to get yep. a leader in to agree it's important and then maybe identify that they need some backup generators. It's another to actually put the money behind that and buy the backup generators. Because mm-hmm. the problem with, and this is true in emergency management as well, which I'm a professor of, they you have competing interests for budget. And a lot of people like to see immediate gratification on their return investment. Right. And you know, I can't do, here's a business continuity plan. It's like, okay, great. It's not like a brand new piece of machinery that you can see it is now doing something. It doesn't actually get necessarily activated until there is a disruption or a disaster. And that may not happen for another few months, may not happen for another few years, may not happen at all, but it right. still is the, the, the right thing to do to be secure. And when it does work, this is why you exercise the plans just in case if you need it. It is, is really important to do that. And then if you get the client who agrees, yes, this is important. Yes, I want to spend the money. But after two years, again, you don't have that proof of concept and return on investment because it, if nothing has happened yet, they go, okay, we can cut back on spending. It's like, no. Yeah, it's doing exactly what it's supposed to. Like, I mean, the fact yeah. that you haven't had anything happen is great. It's like, right. And yeah. if it does, you're ready. And yeah. I see this a lot with cyber. You'll have people who will cut back on their cyber posture. They'll, they they will cut off pen testing. They will cut off training. They're like, oh no, we're we're fine. We're fine. We yeah. haven't had a we haven't had a cyber breach ever, so we don't we don't need that. We're good. Right. Oh, and they're going <laughs> after the big companies. It's like, yeah. no, the big no. companies have money. You don't. Well, they're yeah, easy. and it's like they're those are the ones you hear about, but the the companies that they're going after that they're successful with that are no longer companies are the small and mid-sized businesses across the country that don't have the security stuff in place that don't have the means to survive some sort of cyber attack like that. Like, of course we hear about Chase Bank and Target and all these other companies because they're massive billion dollar (laughs) entities. Well, so So. fun, fun, fun fact. So there's a lot coming out next month. The SEC is upgrading a lot of their rules. Um, first one that they promulgated in 2011, and then in 2018, they did some changes to it. This is where the lawyer, the former corporate lawyer is <laughs> coming out, um, especially when it's related to cyber. So they're going to make it. They had it open to public com- to comment twice, and they're releasing their new regulations next month about cyber posture and cyber policies of publicly traded companies. And when they have to disclose that they've had an incident and updates on previous incidents. And one of the things that makes it tricky is they said they that these companies have to disclose a material breach, a material cyber event. Now, mm-hmm. what exactly is material? And when does it become material? And if you have a whole bunch of small incidents, do they, when aggregated, become material? So um, the interest of the SEC, which is just showing the highest level of interest in government, at people being protected with their information and also investors being protected. And every company, you're going to have members, if it's a very small company, you're going to have inside shareholders. You're not going to have, um, maybe it's not publicly traded, but you're still going to have shareholders you have to speak to. So it's going to be interesting to see that where the trend is going. And, it, and it, the trend is going that the expectation is everybody has some form of cybersecurity since 
the expectation. I mean, in Florida, you have no option. You cannot have a business that does not have some kind of hurricane preparedness measurement. That is just not an option for you. Same, it's going to be the same thing with cyber. And that's part of business continuity. Definitely. I mean, cyber is something that we focus on here. And that's and it's something that's always changing too. Like not only the legislation, but just like what like the definition of it. Like what is well, I mean, from a risk management perspective, a hundred percent. And the other thing is the reach is expanding dramatically. So it's no longer just, hey, Mr. You know, business owner, Mrs. Business Owner. You need to have a, a cyber policy. It, it in, in when I mean policy to for clarification purposes, I'm not talking about insurance. I'm talking about general cyber risk management policies and procedures. It doesn't end there anymore because if you're a, like a government contractor, for example, and in my agency we represent quite a few Department of Defense contractors. It's about them having me, their vendor, vetted. What's my cyber controls? Because I could have personally identifiable information that is in my agency management system. And if it gets into the wrong hands, we got a big problem in addition to, you know, the standard cyber breach issues. And this is something that, you know, we are actively working on with our managed services provider that we use for all of our IT security and everything. And, you know, I have to say, like, this is one of those times where when you hire the anal guy that thinks of everything and he really irritates you, this is the guy you want. And we went toe to toe last week pretty heatedly over a few things. But at the end of the day, by the time the week ended, I told him, I said, I want you to understand something, man. I will always take your advice. You might have to do some convincing to help me understand why I said, but the whole reason that I pay you is because I'm not an expert on all of this stuff. You are, and I need the best advice possible. And I mean, those were some of the things that we discussed and even, and he's also a client of the agency. So he had made the comment kind of tongue in cheek last year as he was going through his renewal, he's like, wow, the insurance companies are really starting to figure out what managed services providers do. This application <laughs> used to be a dozen questions. Now it's a dozen pages, right? Yeah. And the, the, the underwriting focus is huge. But I mean, I think it's really, really important, especially for people in our industry to, to understand that it this responsibility doesn't end with us just giving our advice to our end client. Mm -hmm. We got to practice what we preach in our own kitchen. And we right. got to make sure that we have that stuff locked down because we could, in theory, not even in theory, in in we in fact, we we could cost our clients the ability to go out and earn and have contract, get contracts if we're not in compliance and we're viewed as somebody that could potentially, you know, be, be threatening for information to get leaked out. Yeah. And, and the way I, I do some of the initial questionings or, or um, consultations with clients, and then I wind up working with them. And I, I like to, I even give credit. I steal the line of Denzel Washington in Philadelphia. So explain to them like a five-year-old. I want, even if I understand what you do, I'm going to ask you at the most basic level to tell me everything really, really simply. And I'm going to ask you what you're going to think are stupid, obvious questions. But the thing is, you can't edit your own paper. So I'm going to see things from a way that you won't because you're too close to it. You know too much. It's really hard for you to distill all this stuff down and understand what's important if you don't have someone from the outside coming in and saying, hey, what about this? Hey, did you consider this? 
And I will ask these, you know, quote unquote, stupid questions that may irritate you or anybody else. It's like, well, why is she asking the stupid question? Isn't it obvious? And the way I ask it, you'll go, well, well, you know what? No, I never really thought of it that way. I'm like, that's a vulnerability you have right there. Mm-hmm. So aside from people just not having a continuity plan in place, like what's the biggest mistake you see? Um, having one and not using it. <laughs> they, they, no, honestly, they'll, they'll have one and they don't, they don't um, train it. They don't, they don't exercise it. They don't touch it. It's supposed to be a living document. And I'm like, you know, if you want to have a business continuity plan, congratulations, you, you just bought yourself an expensive paperweight that's going to collect dust on your bookshelf. If you never look at it, it's, it's worthless at that point. You have to exercise it. You have to train it. I could tell you as many times, um, even when I was doing emergency operations stuff, when I was in the military, we had a monthly thing where we had to log in once a month on, into the emergency operations center system. And that was because, you know how many times you forget your login information? All the time, if you're not doing it. For sure. So, yeah, we do it every month. And even every month, it's like, wait a minute, dang it. How do I communicate to somebody on this? Could you, you had to log in and send two messages and respond. And it's like, okay, wait, I don't use the system enough. I'm like, it's out of sight, out of mind. And that's typical for everybody. If it's out of sight, it's out of mind. Kind of like, I don't have to worry about this disaster. It's not going to happen again. Okay, well, Superstorm Sandy was one thing. But right now, all you need is a torrential downpour from a thunderstorm to flood the New York City subway system. And that's only 10 years later. And that's just a a regular thunderstorm, not a... Well, hey, if we really want to get the bejesus scared out of us, let's talk about what's going on in New Orleans right now with the failing pumps and stuff that are five years removed from being installed. Like, I was watching a thing. I don't know if you've seen this or not. I don't want to put you on the spot if you haven't, but... I was watching a thing on the news over the weekend where all of that work they did around the levees in New Orleans post Katrina, like they're having severe issues with pumps that are failing and things. And I don't know what they're like. I don't I don't know what they're going to do to fix it. These are not you know, this isn't like the old prime it five times and then give her a crank on choke before you, (laughs) you know, little little manual pump. These are like massive pieces of equipment that were designed to last for decades. and, And they're not. And yeah. so like now you know, here, we, <clears throat> here we are in one of the worst, from what I can tell, you know, in my lifetime, one of the worst natural disasters we've seen and hopefully that we ever see. And we're going to be right back down to ground zero again. If, you know, like if this stuff starts happening and it goes back to and immediately based on what you just, the reason I'm saying this in my mind, I'm wondering, was all the preventive preventive maintenance done or was this thing just put in and left alone? You know, was all of the were all of the things that were supposed to happen for the last five years or however long it, it's been? Have, have all of those things happened in real time? We are really, really bad about that in business. Every single one of us. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why it's easy relatively for us to go in and initiate conversations and and get new accounts is because a lot of the times there's things that agents haven't brought up or recommended, or maybe they did, and then they quit doing it and dropped the ball or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, I look at it too. It's, it's no different than when you put a, establish a 401k plan for your business, right? When you go in and put your 401k in place, you put the investment policy statement in place, and then you make your fund selection and all of that with whoever it is that's administering it. And then you buy the bond to make sure that you're in compliance with ERISA. But what happens? 
you know, there's a lot of crap that's happened in the economy over the last five or 10 years and the five or 10 years before that and the five or 10 years before that. And, and even though we are not a financial services agency that would do 401k and all of that, I have friends who are, and I refer that business to them. But from a risk management perspective, that's one of the questions I need to ask, especially when, you know, and, and it should have been a major red flag to agents in general when COVID hit, because when COVID first started getting cranked up, we did see a very significant dip in the stock market in the Dow Jones. And that had a nasty impact on a lot of people's retirement accounts. If you had written that investment policy statement and you never went back and reviewed it, if you never took all of the fund mix that you have in in your retirement account and you overlaid the Morningstar style box to see if there was style drift on those funds and you hadn't done any of that stuff and you're sitting in the chair as a CFO and you got 20 people that are pissed off at you because they've lost a, a chunk of their net worth. And their, their, and their comment is, we wanted to move this to a money market or bond fund, but we simply didn't have that option in our 401k fund mix. What are you gonna, you're getting ready to get sued, my man. I mean, you're getting ready to have some pretty, some pretty healthy debates as far as how things are going on. When in reality, all you have to do is like make, make, make that a habit. Schedule time once a year. Go back, look at it once a year. And I kind of believe that with you know business continuity planning and things, it's exactly the same way, right? What gets measured gets done. Just go ahead and get it on your calendar. Budget the time for it. Maybe maybe you don't need to look at it every month, but maybe once a quarter it makes sense because you know, maybe when you went through the process, it was March and your business looks different in March than it does in October. And when you go back and you review it in October, trends may have started to change. Something happened, you know, in, in, in you may have a completely different perspective. I just think that it's something I, I just can't imagine that once a year you should be looking at this thing. To, I mean, maybe if you're in a in a business that's not like growing at a, at a good, good, good clip. But, you know. I got to believe this is something that more than once a year, you got to dust it off, take a look at it and say, okay, what's happened since we looked at this the last time that might require me to adjust it? Or is everything status quo? If so, great, we'll put it away and we'll look at it the next time. I mean, what's your recommendation on that? So it depends on what we're talking about. So uh, drills are very simple. Like, you know, everybody knows what a drill is, like a fire drill for accountability to go outside the building. Do that once a month. And then you can do trainings or even tabletop exercises quarterly where you're sitting down and talking about talking through what you would do in the event something happened. And then it would be great ideal if every year you could do an exercise where you're actually pretending like the state of play is real life. So I'm going to tell you, you don't have your phone system anymore. How are you going to do your job? And that's Mm -hmm. usually the first thing that people lose is comms. And they'll assume like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, use my cell phone. Well, okay. I'll tell you, I was in New York City because I'm from New York City on September 11th. Two things that happened, could not use landline. The, 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 the lines were jammed, not by any kind of um, mechanism. It was just, they were overloaded. And so were the cell phone towers. You could not make any calls. The only way I can get a message to my parents in Staten Island when I was in Manhattan that I was okay was using, I'm dated, this is dating, AOLIM, my friend in Boston. I go, do me a favor, you can call my parents' house and tell them I'm okay. And you know you will lose hmm. communications first. That is the first thing you're going to lose. And trying to figure, we we are so reliant on that. Oh yeah. So just imagine that. You, and also, you have no idea when it's coming back. That's the other thing too. Like, oh, it's, it's going to be down. Like, they're going to come and fix it. It'll be up in an hour. You don't know that. 
Because right. if it's a regional disaster, never mind if it's just a disruption in your business. If it's a regional disaster, the first responders are also suffering through the very same thing, and you are the lowest priority. So it is like imagining the most doomsday scenario. And the wonderful thing about actually exercising it is you can have pen and paper saying, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and it's going to be brilliant. Now, sometimes you learn it. It's not. It's not brilliant at all. It's a disaster. And you figure out, this is why you rewrite plans. You're like, okay, this didn't work. This is why I have to do it better. This is how we can do it differently. We did this really well. Let's do more of that. And it's not just to exercise to get it, to get you used to it and go through the motions. You begin to learn not just the plan. You treat it like a playbook. You want people to be empowered to know enough about it. So instead of going, okay, we did A, we did B, we did, wait, 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 there's no C. We were supposed to go to D, but there's no C. It's like, okay, well, what would you do? Because you've done this before. Build yourself up on that. And the other thing too, is if you've had a change. Now, what is a change really? Maybe you're expanding. Maybe you ha- you're growing, you're opening up a different office in a different location. And that location may have different concerns because it's in a compl- completely different climate than your current location. What if you're downsizing? You have different concerns there. What if you have a different change in leadership? The president and political party in charge changes. So guess what? A whole bunch of regulations change as a result that may apply to your business. These are all things you need to be on top of that are happening that, that you should be updating your business on it, not just checking the box going, okay, I've done this, it's done, I don't have to worry about it ever again, because that's simply not true. And you know, going back to the, the pumps that are failing, not that people are asleep at the wheel. The problem was everybody does these projections of we're going to fix this with X, Y, and Z. They're looking at the projections based on the intelligence that they have currently and from the past. They don't consider the fact that climate change is making things worse. So when you could have something that would last a decade under normal circumstances or under the circumstances in which you understand them in that present day, if everything is getting worse and ramping up and and becoming stronger year after year after year, the toll taking on anything is going to shorten the lifespan of it, which is why things are failing, which is why when they do some kind of zoning thing and allow a whole bunch of businesses and residences to open up in certain areas are suddenly, suddenly getting flooded more and more and more. And they're, they're having to go get wasted and close down and just shutter. And they lose communities that way because they're not projecting for something worse than it was currently present. They're using stale information. Here's another thought. And I would be interested. I mean, obviously you're the, you're a guru when it comes to the business piece, but I live in Florida. Every single home should have a business continuity plan. And I'm using the old air quotes here for your, for our homes, right? People just like, we're so numb to the fact that hasn't hit us yet. Right. And and, and I'm speaking specifically to the area that Kyle and I are in, in the greater Tampa Bay area. Mm. Right. And that's, a problem, you know, this last year with Ian, when it came through, we were going to take a direct hit and everybody was freaking out about it. And then guess what? It didn't happen. And unfortunately it hit, you know, two and a half hours South equally as in unfortunately the people up here dodged another bullet. And so Mm -hmm. it's another way for them to not take it seriously. The reason why I know they don't take it seriously is because my agency has a mobile app for all of our clients and they have the ability to do something I think everybody should do. And that is 
conduct a home inventory, get pictures of things, log it, and then we store that stuff in the cloud so that in the event they have issues, we still have access to all of that information. I remember that from when I was a kid. Every year, my dad would go to the State Farm guy's office to get a, a renewal, and he would say, get your video camera, go around your house, at the bare minimum, video the rooms of your home and narrate what it is that you have so that you have a, a record of that. We don't take the time to do that stuff. And I mean, that's something that's always really, really bothered me. I think I think if the average public uh, consumer were to do that, we would probably not be arguing nearly as much over the limits on their policy because they would understand exactly what they have and realize how much how quickly money adds up. No matter what kind of a house you live in, you have more stuff than you think you have. It's just it it blows me away to think that, you know, we could all lose absolutely everything and nobody's willing to just like block a couple, you know, four or five hours, whatever it would take in budget that over a, a period of time. I, I know I mentioned this to you when we talked originally every year in February, my agency starts a disaster recovery campaign for our clients and it's a drip email campaign and it's 12 weeks and every week, another segment of what they should be doing to develop a business continuity plan is described and explained to them. And then they get homework to actually put that piece of it together so that if they follow that weekly email every week, they may invest an hour a week that they would need, or they can get others involved. I've had clients who uh, take that and do a weekly management meeting and they all work on it together or whatever else. But at least then at the end of the 12 weeks, they've got something. I'm not here to try and tell you that what we're having them build even remotely resembles what a professional like yourself would put together for them. But it's something, you know, right. it's, you know, right. it's something to at least get them thinking about it. And it is, you know, if they put the, if they put the effort into putting it all together, it is something that would be really, really, you know, relatively easy for them to do. And it would be very, very helpful to them in the event something were to happen. And so I just can't even imagine, you know, I've got to believe one of the biggest things people tell you is, well, I don't have time to worry about that right now. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. You can have I all the time in the world when you're damn yeah when your business is down. Yeah. You're gonna have all the time in the world to wish you had done this. Well, here's the funny thing: what what somebody had uh, reached out to me, they wanted me to do their, a business continuity plan for them, and they said, "But I don't have time to do it. You have to do it." And I was like, "I'm sorry, you don't seem to understand how this works. I don't know your business." <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so, but I want to go back to something you, you were saying about um, how homes need to do business continuity plans for their homes. I've actually uh, been on a super small business speaking circuit um, to there's small business centers in North Carolina, which is where I live. And they, they're home operated, but they, they are rural businesses. They are most at risk for not being able to survive a disaster or disruption. So mm -hmm. I, I will talk to them. I'll give them the answers to the test because, you know, this is part of my altruistic, like you're not, you can't afford me. And I know that, but I'm going to help you. And the other way that I help, I help people um, who can't afford me is like, is the book is the easiest way. I actually talked to someone the other week who's like, I can't afford you. I go, you don't know how much I cost. And he's like, well, I'm in the Philippines and our economy is one fifth yours. I go, okay, how about you read my book? It's $5 on Kindle, 20 bucks for paperback. There is a worksheet at the end. It'll move the needle for you. And at least you'll understand what business continuity is and come back to me and I'll see where I can help you. And he's like, okay. 
But for these rural homeowners or really super small business homeowners, um, their businesses are operated out of their house. And I'm like, like mine, for example, I work out of my house. I have to business continuity in my house. <laughs> I have to know where the shutoff valves are and everything because it's my house. It's where my business is operated out of. Mm-hmm. And, and this is also vitally important for small business, super small business owners. You have to, you have to business continuity your house. You have to disaster proof your house. You have to be aware of where everything is. It also helps to know what kind of grid you're on. I know I'm on the grid for the, the hospital near me. We're on the same electric grid, which means to me, I know I'm getting my power back before yeah. other people because Same. Yep, emer- it, it's an emergency situation. You Hospitals are going to be the first um, entity that's going to get it, its uh, um, power back. So if, you're, if that's something that's really important to you and you're operating out of your home, find a home on the power grid of the nearest hospital. That's something you could think about. And um, with the drip campaign, I don't have necessarily a drip campaign, but similar, I have a, a thing that's over 12 weeks for a more, I don't want, I don't want to use the word sophisticated. That, that sounds like someone is not sophisticated. They don't, but somebody who wants to do business continuity plan, but they're like, I don't have the time. I, I'm like, okay, in 12 weeks, again, I can give you something, a lesson one week, an hour one-on-one with me the next the week after. And I do an interview process to let you into that because I need you to dedicate the time to doing the homework because you're going to learn about it. You're going to have homework and then to come to me where I'm going to go through st- stuff with you and then direct you from there and you have more homework as a follow-up before the next class. And that takes place over 12 weeks. So in 12 weeks, you can have a substantial, wonderful business continuity plan if you can dedicate the time to it. And that's the other thing too. Like, I don't want to work with somebody who doesn't want to do the work because we're both going to be disappointed. And it's not about me making money. I don't care. I mean, I care about making money, but not, not at the expense of your displeasure at me not being able to deliver a product and my frustration at you not putting in the effort that's required for your dream. It's your dream. It's your business. Mm-hmm. Invest in it, please. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, I'll never understand that I don't have time. I don't have time. It's the easiest excuse to give. No, you don't. It's not that you don't have time. You just don't have priorities. And right. if you do, you don't have them in the right order. So well, they say that in dating too. Like someone's like, oh, I don't, have, I don't have time to go on a date. I don't have time to see this person. No, it's if it's the right person, you will always find time. Hundred percent. Yeah, always will. Now you've you've mentioned it a couple of times. Talk to me a little bit about your book. You know what was the idea behind that? What led you to decide you wanted to write it? Um, what's the name of it? And by the way, everybody listening to this already knows that we'll send twelve copies of it out to people who email me. So I'll give you the instructions on that when we get done. But talk a little bit about what led you to write the book. What it's done for you. What it's done for the people who who are reading. Okay. So um, when I started my business, I was really quiet about it because I, I, you know, when I look back, I was afraid of succeeding. (laughs) I was afraid of like actually doing the thing that I wanted to do and and helping people. Cause it's like, oh my God, I'm actually living my dream. Oh my God, it's scary. Um, So I didn't even advertise that I had a business for the first five months. It wasn't even on LinkedIn. And then I gave three professional talks and on the third one, the person was like, hey, why don't you write a book? Because I think it'll help increase your eminence and your reputation. And I was like, okay, maybe. And he <laughs> meant it from an academic perspective. And I'm like, I don't want to read that book, let alone write it, you know? Because <laughs> I am infinitely, I am one of the most productive and active lazy people you'll ever meet in your life. If I don't, <laughs> like, I want to do whatever's easy. Like, you know, I work smarter, not harder. And I was, at the same time, I just finished teaching my first semester 
for grad students. And I had be, I'd given a bajillion trainings, and that is an actual number, bajillion um, hour long trainings in the military and also my corporate legal career to people. But I never gave a sustained 16 week semester. And my students at the end of the semester was around the same time. Somebody said, you should write a book. They said, no, we really liked about you. You don't talk like a professor. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Is this a compliment? And they're like, no, no, like you talk like a real person. You talk from your experience. It's It was really great. Like We actually had fun in your class. And one of the students was like, you know, I finished my electives, but if you were teaching another class, I would take it anyway. And I was like, wow, awesome. So I decided after doing some market research on books on business continuity, that nobody's reading these books. They're written by business continuity professionals for business continuity professionals. And that's not who I wanted to reach. I wanted to reach the people who didn't know about it. So the first thing I did was decide I was going to write it in a conversational tone. And then the second thing is I had to get the title right because I wanted people to find it. There is a business continuity for dummies, the most famous series of books in the world. Nobody's reading that book. There's 90 reviews on Amazon. Now, for contrast, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck has 70,000 reviews. I tell you, no one is reading this book. So I decided not to call, there, business continuity does not appear in, in the book title. It's called How to Not Kill Your Business, Grow Your Business in Any Environment, Navigate Volatility, and Successfully Recover When Things Go Wrong. And the first line on the back of the book is just because the shit hits the fan doesn't mean your business has to. And that's really what it's about. And I go through and I ask a lot of questions. So as, as you are the business owner reading it, you're going like, huh, I got to think about that. Yeah, I got to think about that. And I did it with the music theme because I hate being boring. And um, so every chapter, except for the first chapter, is a song title and the lyrics forecast the theme of the, of the chapter. So there's like Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Wu-Tang Clan, Nine Inch Nails, Earth, Wind & Fire, U2, Foo Fighters. I like it. Um, thanks. It's a very eclectic <laughs> yeah. list. Like that's <laughs> Touched them all sound, there. Sounds like my Spotify, to be honest with you, because well, it could I, be I also, anything at any given time. I put a QR code at the end of the book for the Spotify playlist of the chapter song titles. Nice. <laughs> and That's um, cool. yeah, so, and that, that becomes my lowest barrier to entry. So when I talk to somebody and they're like, well, I can't afford, I'm like, you can afford five bucks for Kindle or 20 bucks on a paperback. Like no small business owner is not going to have a $20 to throw at a book. That's going to move the needle significantly in securing their business and learning about business continuity. Cause I find too, I do a lot of, in-person networking here in Asheville and people are like, what do you do? I'm like, business continuity expert. They go, Oh, like succession. <laughs> um, not really. That's a very, 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 very small part of business continuity, but you know, yeah, I just, I help you not inadvertently kill your business. Yep, absolutely. So listen, as we get wrapped up, how does everybody get a hold of you? I'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this that have a client or a prospect or even at the agency level, they need a resource that they can reach out to for business continuity planning. How do they find you? Uh, well, the easiest place is to go to my website. Uh, so it's www.eaasc.com. Make sure you get that C in there for consulting. Because David um, missed it in the intro. I, as soon as she said it, I missed the C. I got the E-A-A-S, but I didn't put the C in there. So thank you for bringing it up. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome. And then I've got, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. So Erica dash or hyphen Andresen, A-N-D-R-E-S-E-N, Erica with a K, not a C. If you're going to hit me up on LinkedIn, I do ask you put a message with a request to connect. I can't stand naked requests. It's like, okay, what do you want? So I usually don't accept them unless 
there's a re- like if you and I, David, I just talked and did a one on one, and then you're like connection request, I'll accept that. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me. And, and you know, uh, in my on my website on eaasc.com, I also have my speaking engagements and uh, a whole bunch of the podcasts that I've already been on. So it's linked there. You could hear me talk about other stuff because. I'm sure you'd be really surprised to learn. I have a lot to say about a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So here we go, people. We're getting ready to wrap up this episode. Here, I, I'm going to make it really, really tough on you. I want you to spell the word continuity, okay? So when you email me, david at killingcommercial.com, not Florida Risk Partners, Killing Commercial, david at killingcommercial.com, put in the subject line continuity so I can sort by subject, I don't need anything in there, but the word continuity and then in the body, you got to give me your address, people. I get half of these emails from you guys, and then you don't even put an address for me to ship the book to. So how am I supposed to get it to you? Help me out. Help me help you, please. Go ahead and follow the directions. David at KillingCommercial.com, subject line continuity, name and a mailing address in there. And I will send you a copy of Erica's book. First 12 people who email me, We'll all get a copy of the book at no additional cost. So with that being said, I think we're at a good, good stopping point. Great discussion. Very lively. Really appreciate your time today. And I look forward to seeing how many people are going to reach out and ask for your help. Cause I can promise you, I know the people listening to this and they need your help. I hope so. (laughs) Be great. Oh no, this was really awesome. I'm trying to read whatever just came up in the, the chat. Uh, it's the otter AI telling you that it's in here and blah, blah, blah. It, oh, okay. Nothing anybody typed. It's beautiful. Beauty of art of, of AI. And it's too, it's funny too. Last thing I'm going to say before we stop is you were talking about like your book with the song, uh, the, the titles and the lyrics, you, you know, lay the groundwork and all of that stuff. I'm thinking, I bet she really wishes she had chat GPT back then. <laughs> because <laughs> you could literally framework the entire thing now in about 30 seconds if you if you knew how to put the calls in the it's right crazy. way in the chat gbt well, so when i was i was at um speaking at a conference in austin last month and one of my mentors was there and he's in charge he was in charge of security for the state of texas he was military veteran and a, a fema hack like he loves fema and he's like i gotta ask you a question about your book i said sure he's like this page why did you say it this way? Why didn't you use the FEMA? The FEMA three distinct. I know what you're saying. This is FEMA's, but why did you use these words? I go, because I'm not teaching FEMA. I'm like, why do I have to use the industry language? That's not the intent. And that I think that would be a problem with ChatPTT because I wouldn't be able to distill the information down to a relatable phrasing. A fair point. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you again for coming on. People, bring the book requests in. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. If you're not talking to your clients about business continuity planning, somebody else is going to come in and do it for you, and then you're going to lose the account. So I highly recommend, this should be at the forefront of everybody's mind. It is not just weather-related. As we've discussed, there are so many different things that can go into this, and, you know, Hey, Target probably wasn't planning on the fact that an HVAC guy was going to have an open patch on his system that allowed people to backdoor their scheduling software and access all point of sale systems, right? And that's a massive, massive company. If you're a small to medium-sized business, you don't have those kind of of deep pockets. You got to take the time and plan on the front end and try and keep everything you can. We'll catch everybody next time. See ya. 
You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 